Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. How do you feel about scales? I think we can all agree that they play a necessary part in our musical education as string players, though I reckon most of us have had some pretty mixed feelings about implementing them in our practice. (laughs) Here to talk about scales with me today is violist Nick Ravel. You might know him from the public quartet or as a composer or educator. We spoke about the role of scales in our playing in our past as well as present. Why do we play scales? Nick has devised a play-along tool for practicing scales and arpeggios called Dragon Scales, so we spoke a bit about what the scale system can offer the modern player. Here's Nick. Hello, Nick. <laughs> Welcome to the Strad Podcast. We're here today to talk about scales. So scales feature prominently in pretty much every musician's musical upbringing. The building blocks of music, one could say. First of all, can you tell me a bit about your memories of scales? How were they implemented during your musical education? Sure. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me in. I'm happy to speak with you on scales. I think as a, a classical instrumentalist, scales were sort of the foundation for a lot of practice starts. You know, a lot of my teachers were very big on scales. And I think there was a lot to be gained from practicing scales. Everything from hearing intonation to practicing rhythm to just getting around the instrument, you know, building a sense of fluidity and dexterity, uh, at least attempting to. That was the goal always, but uh, many, uh, many a hurdle to be jumped. And I guess my memory of scales, as far as my teachers were concerned, was that they they thought it was necessary and they pushed me, but it wasn't like the focus of a lot of my uh, musical training. It was, it always seemed like a vehicle to get better so that at your instrument, so that you could then play the music more fluidly and more expressively. I think that was the goal. I'm not sure that was actually really communicated to me clearly as a kid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I make a point to tell all of my students, like, look, you've heard this music, whatever music they're interested in. You love this music and you want to play this music. I get that. I want you to be able to do that. But here's what you need to be able to do in order to play that. And part of that is being familiar with your instrument in a really intimate way. And nobody, none of my teachers ever taught me that. And I wish they had, but there was a lot to be gained from from doing scales. Mm. It's interesting you say that, isn't it? Because I think kind of as as you mentioned scales are used as a vehicle kind of like a a template to sort of experiment and explore your instrument get to know your instrument really really intimately but I think it's quite common for a lot of people it's not really communicated why we do it especially in this country people run the danger of practicing scales because it's a prerequisite for a particular exam or a particular syllabus but we don't really know why we do it so like do you have fond memories of practicing scales as a kid because I know that definitely in my experience I've taught kids in the past who perhaps don't look so fondly on scales with me (laughs) that's funny yeah I mean no to be honest no I don't I didn't really enjoy practicing scales what I did enjoy was the praise that I would get from my teachers when I did a good job that was kind of most of it I would say if I'm being really honest. And I think as a kid, though, I wasn't aware of a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? I was a kid. So mm. if I could learn at the same rate 
as I did as a kid now with my current set of awareness, like I think I would appreciate more about the process of practicing scales. You know what I mean? Like besides just getting the praise from the teacher, which is the goal in life, of course. Um, Box ticking, you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. I think I would feel a difference uh, between feeling not warmed up, a little rusty, to like being more connected with the instrument. Mm-hmm. And I do, actually, when I practice scales now. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, it just felt a little bit like a chore. And I think there are so many ways of making scale practice creative and engaging that challenge more than just did I do the scale you know what I mean yeah like there it's it can actually be interactive which is an experimental process and it's a creative process so that's what I like to try and do with my students and that's what I like to try and do with myself and my own practicing Mm. yeah so I mean for example now in your busy career you know performing and recording how do scales play a part in your practice now well I definitely notice a difference between practice sessions where I've started with a nice warm-up that usually involves scales mm-hmm. and when I just jump straight to learning music or practicing music. When I go straight to music, I often feel like I just can't quite wake up. I can't quite warm up. I'm not connected. It's hard to describe, especially to someone who I don't know if anybody's going to listen that's not a musician, but there is an experiential quality of feeling warmed up and connected with the instrument. And it's it's hard to describe. It's hard to put in words, but it's just an immediacy. It's a a tactile sensitivity that when I do a good warm-up, I feel. And I think scales play a part. I think, again, scales are a tool. It's, It's a vehicle. If I'm having a tired day and I'm just doing scales mindlessly... I could do more damage than uh, I gain from the exercise, you know? So it's the scales, but it's also like, what are my goals with the scales and how am I using the scales Mm. to help? I think for me, I noticed, you know, you're talking a bit about warming up. If I haven't spent that time, as you say, and just jump into the music, you mentioned the sort of tactile sensation. It's like you sort of lose your frame, don't you? Your left-hand frame. And then you just feel like you lose that connection, don't you? Because all that muscle relativity that you gain from practicing these exercises, these scales, you lose because you haven't familiarized your fingers to do it. And so it's not really about using scales because, yes, I can play a C major scale, three octaves, tick, and that's wonderful. Or perhaps this piece I'm playing in this particular key so I'm going to practice this key it's more than that isn't it as you say it's just a way to sort of carry your music making first to enable yeah I think that's totally true and I was just thinking about as you're saying that I was remembering many experiences when I do feel really connected with the fingerboard where I think of the notes on the fingerboard as places as opposed to hand shapes Mm -hmm. And, I, and when I'm about to play a note and I'm really connected with that note, it like lights up in my brain on the fingerboard, like a little LED. And I just put my finger on that spot. Yeah. And it feels so good to have that connection with, uh, it's like a connection between what you want to hear and where your brain knows that place is on the fingerboard. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is sort of, because a scale is so linear, it's just up and down or down and up. It provides a great map 
for the whole fingerboard. Like you're practicing walking through the fingerboard. And the same could be said for arpeggios, but that's leaping. That's jumps. So you're jumping through the Shifting. fingerboard. Yeah, yeah. Shifting, you know what I mean? Yeah. I did also want to mention that I think growing up, it wasn't made clear, like, why we practice the major scale and the minor scale. There are so many scales out there. It's a shame when you approach a piece that is often using scales that we just don't end up practicing that much or as much as the normal ones. And then all of a sudden you feel like at a deficit because you just don't have that in your ear, your fingers. So yeah, I think it's wonderful to uh, to mix it up as much as possible. I wonder how many scales there are even out there, you know? I know, not to mention all the modes and stuff. I've noticed this as well as, as I progress in my career and obviously starting off my musical education back in New Zealand and you learn your major scale, you learn your minor scales, your melodic minor, your harmonic minor scale. I don't remember learning any modes. I don't even really remember learning pentatonic scales, blue scales. And then, you know, you go off into the profession, you might be doing, you know, commercial sessions, um, pop sessions and stuff they're not always going to be using those three major minor minor scales, right? And wouldn't it be wonderful to sort of have those tools under your belt already? Be a bit more prepared in that way. Yeah. So uh, you've devised a system <laughs> of scales called dragon scales. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what it is and what it offers that other scale systems don't? I'd love to. Dragon Scales was a kind of a creation of mine that was truly for my own benefit initially. I was just reflecting on practicing scales and I must have just been really frustrated or bored one day in my practice. And I thought, God, I wish the drone that I like to practice with would come with me along the scale. Mm-hmm. And I know there are apps where, you know, you can put the microphone on and like tonal energy, if I, if I can name drop. I love tonal energy, it's such a great app. It has a feature where it'll listen to you and play the pitch that it hears back right. at you in real time. So you can basically play along with a drone on any pitch, but it's not really real time, there's latency, and I also wanted to incorporate rhythm. So the initial version of Dragon Scales was essentially a play along with drones that move all the way up and down a three octave scale in a progression of rhythms slow to fast and back to slow again. Mm-hmm. I experimented with making just the major version first and going through rhythms like half note, quarter note, big triplet, eighth notes, little triplet, etc. You go really fast and it takes about, I think it's eight minutes for the major scale and the minor scale because they have the same number of notes. And I just thought it was something I haven't quite experienced before, being able to tune every note as you go with a drone and not hearing an interval because when you're hearing intervals unless they're perfect you're kind of guessing like there's so much discussion we could have a whole episode on thirds and sixths yeah, you know yeah. what i mean i mean so much of that is flexibility as well isn't it an exercise in flexibility and harmonic flexibility yeah and so it evolved to have a bunch of different scales there's major melodic minor whole tone both diminished, which means uh, whole step, half step, and then half step, whole step, and uh, chromatic. And there's a full set of arpeggio chord progressions that also go through rhythms. Mm-hmm. And I just found it to be a pretty complete audio play along system for kind of any basic pattern that I needed on the instrument. There's a notation available too, which is a complete set for violin, viola, and cello. And it goes through all 12 keys, all of those scales, 
in all the rhythms mm-hmm. per key. Yeah. And it's three octaves in a Galamian scale system, is that right? Yeah, basically yeah, yeah. it's a Galamian rhythm, yeah. yeah. Yep. I love the Galamian system because you know, you just have such flexibility with rhythm in that sense. It's just, right. it's it's magic the way that it works out. No matter what rhythm you do, you just always end up on the tonic at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, pretty genius. <laughs> That's brilliant. You know, is there a reason that you chose to create the drones in chip tune? Well, yeah, I mean, I've definitely gotten some feedback on that, that some people really don't like that. Some people like it. I felt like I was listening to, you know, a late 70s, early 80s video game. like Absolutely. Space yeah, I'm a big fan of video game music, so yeah. it works for me. But yeah. I also found that a square wave, or I guess in this case, it's a sawtooth wave, just is, mm. has the most overtones you can get before it just turns into like a super distorted noise sound. Mm-hmm. And those sounds are actually easier to tune to. You know, it's like, it's like why we tune to a, an oboe in the orchestra as opposed to a clarinet. It's just the overtone content is higher and it's actually easier to tune. So I just found, especially in the really fast rhythms, like I want to still be able to hear, even if it's just a snapshot on that note, there's not enough time to adjust, but at least I can hear, did I get it or not? Yeah. You know what I mean? It sort of makes it's it more immediate. clearer, doesn't it? You were talking before about guessing and it takes the guesswork out of that. I have been using the playlongs recently to play in intervals. So experimenting with, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm I'm really not warmed up yet, I'm not ready for a scale yet because I find a scale to be actually a, a very complete use of body and mind in playing. So if I want to just warm up with an open string, I can just play the the root while the dragon scales goes up and down, and I can hear intonation, I can hear pitch, I can still do the rhythm, but I'm only on a single note, and then also playing in either diatonic intervals along with it or parallel intervals so you just be in a different key while the uh, the drone goes up and down yeah. and i found that to be a really engaging process even more so than just playing in unison with the drones yeah and you're focusing on other things that way aren't you especially if you're just staying on an open string you can just sort of let the dragon scale go up and then just focus on your right arm because i think that's also another thing to bring up is that sometimes when you're practicing scales it's hard to know what to focus on. You know, there's so much to think about, especially if you're taking into consideration lots of different slurring, rhythms, how many octaves, which key, which fingering, intonation, so many things. And sometimes it's good just to focus on, I'm just gonna focus on my bow. I'm gonna focus on making a nice sound. And I guess that's a nice way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Nick, thanks so much for joining me today, talking about scales. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I'm sure that lots of Strad listeners will have plenty of things to say about scales. So if anyone wants to write in and tell us about their strategies and practicing scales and arpeggios, then do let us know. That was Nick Ravel. Check out the show notes for more information about Dragon Scales, as well as his new album, Dream Collider, an excerpt from which you're listening to right now. And don't forget to check out thestrad.com, where you'll find the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string play. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. It will help people discover this podcast. Thanks for listening, and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.